genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, one reluctant minute at a time. (laughs) I'm Norman Mitchell. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 107, which starts with this hand continuing to clear off a gravestone and ends with Frodo looking kind of amazed as he examines Sting. For the first time. For the first time. Well, he probably has seen Sting before, but he's probably never handled it. That's true. But if Frodo has seen Sting before, that why would Bilbo have made a big show about, like, oh, this is my old sword, Sting? Well, because he's passing on part of his legacy. That's true. You know? This this is yours now. You need this. I don't need this anymore. I'm an old man. Right. <laughs> what do I need a sword for? <laughs> <laughs> just just has, like a, like, a Battle of Five Armies flashback. Oh, my God. Swinging sting around in his in bag end. <laughs> Accidentally breaks some plates. Oh no. That'd be very sad. So carefully, carefully with the plates. <laughs> yes. Uh so I've always really, really loved this scene at his mother's grave with Aragorn. Mm. I I have a fascination with like somewhat of a fascination with like gravestones in general. I have a tendency to think that they're very pretty and artistic, usually. That's macabre. Um, I'm not really sure where that comes from, but this is a very pretty gravestone. Are you in your emo phase still? No. <laughs> you listen to, like, My Chemical Romance and just sit in a graveyard? That No. <laughs> I'm not Ebony, Ravenous, whatever. <laughs> the pinnacle of fan fiction. <laughs> No, I, uh, I've always really had like a fascination with like, uh, the relationship of like human beings with their mortality. And I think some of that comes from having read so much philosophy. That makes sense. So I've always really, really loved this scene. And I think it's not in the theatrical because they were really trying to refocus the story on Frodo. Right. After when they were getting ready to leave Rivendell. So our previous minute uh, where says, you know, where are we going? Jumps into Bilbo and Frodo and the passing on of Sting in the Mithril Coat, which we'll talk about more tomorrow. Uh, but this scene is. I don't know, in, in my opinion, this is like one of the key scenes that really characterizes Aragorn in this movie and really, really uh, hammers home the. The kind of. Self-loathing he seems to have for being like this heir, for having the fate of the world of man on his shoulders. And he really, he hates that part of himself because he really feels that men are weak, that they're, that, you know, we are flawed. Right. And I think that this scene really hammers that home, especially like in front of the grave of his mother. Well, it's interesting that it's Elrond who is really encouraging Aragorn to take up this sword because Elrond, you know, not too long ago was just spitting the same venom stuff about how men are weak and inherently flawed and 
they don't have what it takes to really, you know, take up the mantle of leadership of Middle Earth. Yeah. And part of the reason he feels that way when you when you watch this scene, the way that it's it's put together in that part of the narrative. Yeah. I think that part of the reason Elrond feels that way when he says, like, the blood of Numenor is all that's spent and all that about men being weak is that Aragorn is so reluctant, but Elrond feels like he shouldn't be. Like, he should be embracing this part of him because it's the strongest part of him. And he doesn't understand why Aragorn would deny that. I think being an elf, he doesn't understand why a man would, like, deny part of their legacy. I guess so. Because elves are, like, all about that. Right. I just think it's interesting that Elrond, who pretty much raised Aragorn, or at least was... At least the way this this movie is framed, it seems like he, like, raised Aragorn. Yeah. I mean, and clearly his mother, you know, had a part in raising him. I'm trying to figure out... I'm flipping through the appendices trying to figure out if it says when his mother dies. But... I mean, Elrond had a part in raising Aragorn and shaping him when he was young. And it's interesting to me that having grown up in this place where Elrond is clearly so bitter about the failings of men and being surrounded by all of these these um, these artifacts that basically remind you of the failing of men. like Yeah, their have, former strength. Right. And that's quite a shadow to be in and i just think it's interesting that it's elrond who's kind of finally coming to accept the fact that maybe there is hope in men and he's trying to push aragorn in that direction but aragorn's trying to unlearn like 80 years of Brooding. Like, right? Like, just pooping all over men, you know? Because yeah. he hangs hey, uh, out with elves, and elves yeah. are inherently, like, haughty and holier than thou. Well, yeah, and the perfect example of that from the book is, like, when Bilbo's telling them the story, and they're just like, you know, to uh, to sheep, different sheep might seem different, or to the shepherd, but not to us. Right, yeah. Like, not to the casual observer. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> to us mortals are like sheep. <laughs> That's basically what they're right. saying. But I've always wake uh, up, sheeple. <laughs> right. I've always gotten the uh, the impression from this conversation that they've had this conversation before. Yeah. That like, especially when paired with Elrond saying when he's talking to Gandalf that he turned from that path long ago. He's chosen exile. Right. Like, so I I really get the feeling that Elrond has had this conversation with Aragorn multiple times because. The only way he's kind of okay with Aragorn and Arwen being a thing is if Ar- if Aragorn embraces this part of himself and becomes the leader that Elrond thinks he should be. Right. So I, I, I really think that part of this whole relationship between Elrond and Aragorn has at least a little to do with Elrond not understanding why a man wouldn't pick up this strong legacy he has. Right. Because elves all elves embrace their heritage. Well, And even... I think that that's a cultural difference and has to do with like their long lives. I don't know. Elrond is so complicated. And there's a lot of layers. There is, um, you know, because he's, you know, thousands of years old. But even the name that he gives Aragorn when he pretty much adopts him is um, Estel, which means hope. And even, I don't know, I think it's really cool that even though Elrond is so embittered about 
Isildur that he goes out of his way to rechristen this kid hope right like the embodiment of our hope yes but that's also uh in contrast to how incredibly different of a character book aragorn is to movie aragorn that's true because book aragorn does kind of embrace that side of himself yeah and movie aragorn they liked playing with like the reluctant hero trope yeah and i think it works really well i actually prefer movie aragorn to book aragorn in a lot of ways. Well, well, Book Aragorn is... Like the typical Arthurian hero. Right. He's... I don't know. I... He has, like, an initial layer of I mystery. I hesitate to say Mary Sue, because, A, a lot of people overuse that term and use it incorrectly. But yeah. Aragorn is kind of the the everyman superhero, you know? Like, yeah. the, like he's the Beowulf. Yeah. And... I mean, one could argue that Tolkien intended this as a myth, so one could say that that's the reason why some of his characters seem to be one-dimensional or not one-dimensional, but kind of dry, yeah. you know, um, or lacking, like there is depth, but you have to really dig for it yeah. it's not just you know, it's not in the story out. it's an extra material right and i like that well i also like movie aragorn as the reluctant hero paired with uh frodo as also, the reluctant hero yeah. as we can see in this minute because they have very um they're very similar in why they're kind of reluctant but yeah. they have very different strengths that push them through it. I really like, because we've been talking about legacy as a theme a yeah. lot. And I really like this minute because it illustrates clearly the two characters that are struggling the most with this. Um, and you have Aragorn just flat out refusing to take up this sword. And then you have Bilbo foisting his sword on frodo yeah it's a really cool juxtaposition yeah because like you have aragorn he's like i i have never wanted that power i i don't want to i don't want to do this and then you cut to bilbo basically saying oh take it take it you know yeah. and very excitedly yeah so i like the juxtaposition of our two uh reluctant heroes and the the struggle that they're still going through because yes, Frodo stepped up to take the ring, but he's really—I think he's still in shock. Like he's yeah. still. And I mean, I processing. Uh, I go back to this line a lot because I think it is the line that most exemplifies Frodo's journey in this movie. Is my adventure turned out to be quite different? Right. And that that one line says so so much about like the theme and tone of this movie. Right. And about Frodo compared to Bilbo. Because Bilbo, even though, and we'll talk about his like corruption or whatever more tomorrow, but in spite of that, Bilbo is still basically the same jolly guy. Right. For the most part. Well, Bilbo, like, he... Because he, he's so excited to pass on his legacy. Right. I mean, his adventure is literally like an adventure. Like, yeah. he goes off and it's, it's like a romance. Like, you know what I mean? Like, romance yeah. in the sense, not like you know, kisses and stuff, but like right. the romance with a capital R like right. sweeping epic. Yeah. Bilbo's story. adventure is an adventure in the sense that like there's a reward at the end and Frodo is a, is a quest. Yeah. It's not an adventure. Well, Frodo is 
I wouldn't say quest. I would say um, mission to borrow Pippin's phrase, you know, Um, (laughs) because it is. I think Bilbo Bilbo's adventure is a journey. And Frodo's adventure is a mission where the end goal is the most important thing. And Bilbo is just like taking in the experience. Yeah. It's like it's like being deployed to war versus going on a an extended vacation. Like taking taking this right. I mean, that's a very, very stark and oversimplified example, but yeah. I, I mean Frodo is risking his life and he knows that he is constantly especially now because he has the the morgul wound but bilbo yes he risks his life but it's it's not to serve any grand yeah there's no noble end here really i mean yes the reestablishment of like a the of a dwarves, kingdom yeah. is like noble but the the conflict the greater conflict of the hobbit at the end is all very petty right so it and that's part of I think that also, doing it again, but that's part of what like <laughs> fails that that third Hobbit movie in particular. Well, I think the difference also between like you look at the depiction of war in the Hobbit as useless and petty, and then you look at the depiction of war in Lord of the Rings as a necessary evil. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, and I. You know what I mean, though? Like, yes, Lord of the Rings is a story about um, war and the horrors of war. And sacrifice. And sacrifice, but it's a little grander in scope than The Hobbit, whereas The Hobbit is just like, look at this useless, stupid destruction for something so stupid. Something so small. Right. Um. Because with Lord of the Rings, yeah, I don't know. I think that's the difference between Bilbo and Frodo. Like, Bilbo, like, the journey is what counts. You know, like, the stuff that happens in between. And Frodo is just, like, a singular goal. And, you know, it's like a means to an end. Yeah. And, yeah, definitely. It is a means to an end. And meanwhile, we have Aragorn, who has pressures basically from three different legacies right. pushing on him. Like, he's Isildur's heir. He's also, like, somewhat beholden to, like, the legacy of Baron and his elven blood. That's true. All these things pressure on Aragorn his whole life. Basically. Yeah. Well, since he turned, like, what, 20? Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to find in the appendices where... And when his mother dies. I think she... I'm I'm relatively certain she dies when he's fairly young. I don't know. I couldn't find it. I was, like, flipping through it. But... Because for all intents and purposes, Aragorn was essentially raised like an elf. Right. I mean, and it says that Elrond basically takes him on as a foster son. Uh, yeah. So... I, I'm fairly certain that... Uh, Aragorn's really young when his mother dies because that's what prompts Elrond to adopt him and treat him like a third son. Well, I mean, well, no, because in the appendices it says that his mother takes him to live in Rivendell. And at that time, it says, Arathorn the second slain, 
Gilrain takes, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, takes Aragorn to Imladris. Elrond receives him as foster son and gives him the name Estelle. Hope, his ancestry is concealed. Hmm. So, I guess what that implies is his mother drops him off, but in the movie, she, like, lived there. Or at least, if she didn't live there, she came often to visit, because he must have known his mother, at least for some... Some amount of time. Yeah. Unless the... The Unless care. the implication there is that she was wounded in the same battle yeah. Arathorn is slain. Unless him. the care that he takes to... Because he kind of caresses the the marble yes. statuette. And I've always read that as Aragorn, like, remembering his mother and, like, the memory of her. But Like I guess, remembering her face? Yeah, but I guess you can also read that as Aragorn never really knowing his mother and kind of longing for. I think Elrond's lines here also imply that she died when he was very young. She wanted to protect you, she thought, in Rivendell you would be safe. That's true. It can be taken both ways, I think. Yeah. And movie-wise, it's hard to know. Yeah. Uh, And you you can kind of take it one way or the other. But I don't know. I've... I have always really, really loved the scene. It's very pretty. Mm-hmm. The uh, The design team mentions that uh, their goal with all the elven design was to make it as pretty as the orcs are ugly. <laughs> so. I think they do a good job because the orcs are pretty ugly and the yeah. elves are really pretty. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I've always been very interested in, in legacies and it's always been the most fascinating part of Aragorn's character to me. Yeah. Is how he so completely rejects this legacy until he's forced, forced to, to pick it up. Forced to reckon with it, yeah. And he's forced to reckon with it because of Frodo. And I think also because of Boromir, but we'll get yes. to that. Yeah. But if uh, if Boromir hadn't left the Fellowship, Aragorn... Left, quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> if if Frodo hadn't like gone off on his own, then Aragorn might never have had to grapple with his legacy in the same way. That's true. I think... Because it would have continued to be, like, the stealthy mission into Mordor. Right. I think it's interesting that... They would have never had the confrontation in Helm's Deep, dealing with the Rohirrim. I like that they juxtapose um, Frodo and Aragorn relatively early on. Like, yes, we're halfway through the movie, but I like that they take the time to really hammer home these two characters because they're like our two main characters basically and they're going to be carrying the story forward and i like the fact that they take the time at least in this extended cut to really explore the motivations of these two characters and i like i mean we'll talk about it at length when we get there but frodo really um puts into motion all of these things that Aragorn like the bravery of Frodo really pushes is what pushes Aragorn to accept or be on the road to accepting his fate as yeah. the king. Yes. Cause there's there's this admiration in this story for the sterner stuff that hobbits seem to be made of. Yes. And that admiration of like a hobbit's will, despite their small size drives all men that know hobbits to try and be better that we see anyway it is inspiring yeah if this little guy can do it so can i right i mean i guess that's kind of 
it's a little uh petty condescending yeah it's a little condescending but at the same time i mean there's certainly a point to be made there like right. if if this little guy can handle this if this person who has grown up sheltered and living the best of what we fight for and what we live for can put that aside and really achieve heroic ends then i can too right like if this if this innocent being who's never really had hardship right quote unquote can put off the evil of the ring like this Mm -hmm. and fight for what he believes in so strongly then there's hope for all of us right we all we all can do that i also like the fact with this minute um talking about frodo and aragorn that these poignant conversations happen with not their actual fathers but their like fa- like adopted father right. figures and and they're both really similar familial connections because they're both their like their uncles yeah like so. their great uncle great great uncle whatever yeah. So, so. <laughs> it, 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 I, that's actually a, that's an interesting point too, that it's essentially, it's their uncles yeah. that are giving them these legacies that are kind of foisting this upon them in this moment. Well, cause Aragorn and Frodo are also both orphans. Yeah. I mean, their parents are dead and Aragorn, I mean, it depends on when his mother died, but his father died when he was very young yeah. and even that, like. Like, losing a parent even when, I mean, I didn't lose my, my parent when I was young, but losing a parent when you're not expecting to, like, is really, it, like, changes you, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting that, I don't know, I've never realized the parallels between Aragorn and Frodo that really go that deep. Like, they're, not their childhood, but the way that they were brought up by extended family. Yeah. And it's their, um, it's their becoming orphans that kind of propels them into the story. Yeah. It's how they got here. Yeah. I guess that, that whole like orphaned, like hero really comes. It probably comes from before this as well. Yeah. But I mean, because every, like, you know, every fantasy novel is just like, oh, someone's you know, lost one parent the or orphaned, both parents. You know, the orphaned hero who's down on his luck and raised by his grandfather or his or, uncle. You know, his removed family. Luke. Luke, Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, I also. Uh, the main character of Aragon, too, I think. Yeah, Aragon. Um, just any, like, just think, just throw a stone at any fantasy novel right you'll probably hit something like you know someone in that work is an orphan probably yeah. and someone in that work is about to be a hero and it's probably that guy like, yeah <laughs> it's probably the probably the peasant who's been raised by a, right. a, a distant secret, relation yeah. <laughs> you know that guy he's a hero he's, he's a hero in the making batman yeah batman um the bulgariad yeah. by david eddings that's a big one too um I don't know. Just orphans, man. Orphans. <laughs> or uh, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess it's a, it's kind of like a modern fantasy. Yeah. It's not really a fantasy, but you know. Yeah, I was just throwing that out there. <laughs> legacy. What is a legacy? Right. Exactly. 
Orphans. You're an orphan? I wish there was a war. <laughs> then you'd be a hero. Anyway, we've devolved to quoting Hamilton's. So. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. Uh, also on Dueling Genre, you can find Doctor's Companion, a uh, Doctor Who podcast hosted by Scott, Nick, and Cassandra, and Geek by Night, an award-winning audio drama. Yeah. Yes. Exciting. Yes. It's very exciting. Um, so check those out. Yes. If you have an interest in Doctor Who. We're on hiatus for the moment because the new season... I don't know when the new season's coming back, but... <laughs> Just about the time we're done doing this, probably. Yeah. Also, sorry, the cat is going crazy. I don't know what's happening yeah, over there. It's been very active this afternoon. <laughs> it's, it's prime cat playtime. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for joining us today. I hope everyone has a great Tuesday. As always, special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182, and we'll see all of you tomorrow. <laughs>